and welcome to the 387th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that always has the dothy thought seas for their turn three Tron. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. I'm looking forward to sharing all of the developments this week, and boy, are there a bunch. But before we do, I want to remind everyone that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on a great Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering single, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, my friend, what is on our busy agenda this week? This week, we've got a bunch of segments leading up to uh, covering a bunch of things that happened. We're going to lead off with the Metagame Week in Review, including our Pro Tour Lord of the Rings review. Segment two is our Top Paper Movers of the Week. Segment three is our Top Movers Online. Then you and I have segment four, our cards to watch. And finally, at the end, we need to cover all the stuff that happened at the Pro Tour, both the decks who won, the band-restricted announcement that's coming out next Monday, where you get to talk about the previews they gave us for Wilds of Eldraine, and including some of the uh, reprint uh, shenanigans. I think shenanigans is the right word that we're putting Solid. up with right now. Mm-hmm. So that's what's going on, man. Let's jump on in here on the metagame week in review, one of the most important ones of the year. We are frequently talking about magic online results and the occasional big paper tournament these days, but this was one of the first big, big tests of the modern metagame, uh, especially the meta post the release of Lord of the Rings and the advent of five or six new staples from that set. And it was a pretty fantastic weekend, to be honest. They did just an incredible job with coverage this time. They really dialed it in. Really great, yeah. Everybody on team was doing a solid job. They, They had excellent color commentary, excellent play analysis, and there was a diverse field of decks that to my eye, looked very similar to what you see on the Magic Online meta for the most part. Very, very few rogue decks. I think one of the big uh, takeaways here is that no major team seemed to have, quote-unquote, broken the format at all. There were a bunch of small tweaks to uh, tech in the main and in the sideboard that were meant to address the decks that they the, te- the teams felt would be popular at the tournament. And the teams that correctly predicted the meta in that way tended to do a little better as a result. There were things like main deck Sanctifier on Vec in uh, a version of Team Rhinos where they could cascade into it. Uh, There were a couple of other circumstances like Questing Beast being in the main to shut down ring protection. Which is pretty amazing, like sideboarding in. You're sideboarding in a 4-4 for 4 and we, you know, we forget no, that there's not not sideboarding. This was one of the top. Oh, right, right. Rhin- Rhino Stacks had two two copies of Questing Beast in the main. Well, I mean, with Lord of the, with the one ring being everywhere, that it makes sense that you would want a main deck answer to this card. 
and I I forgot that this was a thing that you could do. I straight yeah. forgot with the 23 different lines of text on that silly card that one of the lines is damage can't be prevented at all. So it's pretty interesting because there was a tremendous number of one rings and bow masters that were uh, registered for the tournament. We had a pretty good look at the meta up front and it was most of the usual suspects. Uh, I think probably the highest number of decks submitted that might have been a surprise to some people that weren't right on the on the cusp of the latest tech is that that blue-black control deck with Sauron's Ransom and Lorien Revealed, I think had 10 or so copies registered. Um, I didn't do a deep dive to see if that was, you know, all of two two testing teams or a variety of, of folks that, that brought it to the tables. But other than that, it was, it was a lot of the usual suspects. And indeed, the entire thing was taken down by a first tour uh, or a first-time pro tour attendee, Jake Beardsley, I believe his name is. Yep. And he was playing Black Red Scam, had just a just an awesome moment in the finals against Christian Calcano, longtime Magic Pro uh, and Grinder, who was on Green Tron, where Calcano had Natural Tron set up for turn three, and. Jake got down a Dothy Voidwalker on two and then thought seized on three, took an Ulamog and then cast it off the Voidwalker. Oh, like, say it again. It's so su- dirty. Su- and and Calcano just scooped it up like that. Uh, what are you going to do? You had two of your Tron lands exiled. You've got no permanence and you're dead in two attacks. You don't have a path to exile or anything else that might pull you out of this. Can't even get to the one ring in time. So as it's been doing for months, and you know even more so since the appearance of Bowmasters, the Black Red Scam deck was was performing well through much of the tournament. Four Dothy Voidwalker, four Fury, four Grief, four Bowmasters on display. Thought seizes, some Terminates, etc. They uh, were the only Black Red Scam to make it to the top eight. The rest of it was Kalkana with Green Tron in second. That was running three, the One Ring, and two Ulamog, Ceaseless Hunger. Another Green Tron in third, another one in fifth. These ones were on four, one ring, two Ulamog. Amulet Titan in the hands of, I think it was uh, Dom Harvey from Canada, local boy that plays here in Toronto, on four Titan, four the one ring, four Urza Saga. And then finishing up this top eight is three copies of Shardless Rhinos, all of them running some combination of Subtlety, Crashing Footfalls, four Lorian. Lorian revealed, and in that eighth place list, the two questing beasts as the spice in the main. I mean, it's all spicy when you cast a shardless agent into, you know, you're going to hit the rhino, and so you've got ten power for three mana. That's pretty darn hard to argue with. I know that uh, also having a good day was the couple of copies of endurance that got played around because it didn't take much for you to be three or two or three copies of rhinos got cast so you need some way to reshuffle those back into the deck there you go endurance will reload you for it's worth flagging that this tournament as the pro tour tends to be uh, included six rounds of limited so the decks that made it to top eight weren't necessarily the best performing of all the modern decks just in the modern portion and in fact the the archetype with the highest win rate even though it was on a low sample size was merfolk 
at eight and two. There was a Don't single. Don't you merf- dare encourage those fish players like this. Come on, man. <laughs> Sing- single Merfolk player uh, doing very well against the field, uh, going eight and two. Five color reanimator went seven and three. Uh, we talked about the absence of Hammer Time in the top eight, but they they actually went sixteen and seven for sixty nine point six against the field. Urza Thopter Sword went nine and five. Mono White Hammer went nine and six. So the total on Hammer decks was twenty five and thirteen. I think looking at that, which is pretty good. It's pretty uh, good, yeah. Blue Black Mill did ten and seven. Amulet Titan, which did make the top eight, twenty and fifteen. And then crashing footfalls, you know, team of rhinos, uh, 75 and 59 on a larger sample size. And if you look at the large sample size decks, you're talking about Titan, 20 and 15, 57%. Team of rhinos, 75 and 59, 56%. Four color rhinos, 41 and 33, 55%. So regardless of how you were casting your rhinos, you had about the same win percentage. Mono green Tron was 54.6%. Black red scam was 54 percent so titan uh rhinos tron and black red scam were the only large sample size decks that put up positive results and i suspect that that will shape the meta that is to come uh, out of this tournament a lot of that reinforcement was already present in magic online so i don't think we learned anything particularly new here but it's certainly worth the the players of the other list who were 50% or lower to think about how they need to go back to the drawing board to increase their win percentage for facing the field that did better than 50%. So that's going to include decks like Blue Red Merktide, Living End, Five Color Creativity, Mono Black with Cabal Coffers, uh, the Blue Black Control deck that's fresh on the scene only did 45% against the field, 51 and 62 Burn was at 45%. Black Green Yogmoth, despite being in many top eights on Magic Online this year, only did 45% against this field. Four Color Omnath only did 43%. Jeskai Breach was at 40%. So was Esper Control, and so on and so forth. So those sub 50% decks, they're going to have to do a little work to tune into this Rhinos, Titan, Tron. Uh, black red scam and i think if i'm flagging any particular difference to this meta versus the week to week on magic online it's that tron penetrated the top eight and top 16 to a much higher extent than i think most people expected i mean what we see is in looking at the the breakdown of how the decks performed we see that the decks that had a plan did better than the the more reactive control decks and that's that's kind of a generalized statement, but you know the control decks didn't have a huge showing here. We didn't see it, any any flavor of control really didn't have a a strong showing. Whereas the decks that had went in with their plan, their plan, they knew what they were going to do. Uh, they they went in and kicked a lot of butt. I would have liked to see a reanimator on camera, but by the time we, especially by the time we were getting to the later rounds, the combination of excellent drafting plus being more prepared for the metagame meant that we were seeing a lot of the same like you know tron versus evoke versus rhinos and they were great games don't get me wrong i thought that they did an excellent job choosing what to show each round you know they there weren't any snoozers that i can recall and even if there was uh the way that they did coverage allowed us to see a lot of the matches and i'm really impressed with how their coverage has improved 
over the last couple of years to a point where I'm I really miss I didn't realize how much I missed Cedric Phillips in the booth but man did I miss that guy he does he does very good work in the booth he's got the right voice he's got the right cadence he's got the right attitude and yeah it's and the kind of thing a- that comes with a lot of practice and him and and Patrick Sullivan did the SEG tour for so long that this is something he really knows how to do I was very impressed with that so to your earlier point about proactive game plans, it's certainly true that Tron presents a huge mega threat off the the ba- their you know ridiculous land base. Amulet Titan does a similar thing on the back of Amulet of Vigor, <clears throat> and then Charlotte's Rhinos is putting a two two and two four fours into play on turn three a lot of the time. So, <clears throat> but I will say that Black Red Scam is essentially a control deck. I mean, between Fury Grief Bowmasters and Dothy Voidwalker and some Terminates and Thoughtseizes, that's control. They, they are controlling the presence of creatures. They're controlling the presence of planeswalkers. They're punishing card draw with, okay. with counter threats. They're able to, as we, we talked about earlier, steal a major threat from some of these decks with the combination of Dothy, Voidwalker, and Thoughtseize. And it was notable in that game in particular how Jake could have gone Thoughtseize, Dothy, but had no. <laughs> enough experience against Tron where he knew to go Dothy, Thoughtseize. Yeah, because there's some decks where you you can't your Dothy won't survive, and the, and there's some and there's some decks where you need to thought seize the the early play, but against right. Tron you've usually first and second turns are often set up, and then three four five is where the haymakers start coming out. That makes so, sense. So, Black Red Scam looking very good. It was also notable that this was the second modern or second Pro Tour that included four Fable of the Mirror Breaker in the winning deck. Because the Beardsley list eschewed four-season Pyromancer for four Fable. And indeed, if we look at the Pioneer Challenge from this weekend, there was Black-Red Midrange in first, second, seventh, and eighth, all running four Fable. Black-Red Sacrifice was in sixth, and I'm pretty sure they run Fables as well. And then the rest of that field was Bant Spirits uh, with four Collected Company in third, Blue Red Arclight in fourth and fifth with Phoenixes and Shredders. So Fable, certainly one of the most powerful cards printed in the last few years in many formats. And, you know, when we get around to these Band of Restriction announcements, that's one of the cards I would have my eye on. In terms of the cards that people are most concerned about out of Lord of the Rings, Bowmasters and the One Ring, if we look at this top eight, you have 15 copies of the One Ring and four copies of Bowmasters. But if we explode out to the top 32, there's significantly more Bowmasters and it gets a little closer in terms of the overall presence. There's certainly been some talk about restricting the One Ring to a single copy, which is very, very cute thematically. But as you and I have discussed, and the Discord has discussed multiple times, it seems extremely unlikely that they will hamstring the holiday sales of the Rebound Lord of the Rings set in November by doing anything about these cards, especially given that their power level is very high. But because so many of the staples to come out of Modern Horizons 2, and we're talking about 20 to 30 cards there are at that same level, including all five Evoke Elementals. It's still a very balanced format. Like, this didn't turn out like Eldrazi Winter in the slightest. This was a uh, a meta that was as diverse and competitive as you could possibly hope, and you didn't have to be running Bowmasters or the One Ring to compete. 
and even when you were, there are enough. There's enough counterplay to both cards that the entire tournament felt entirely healthy. I'd agree with that. the The one ring was all over the place, and that's because it's a very good card. But modern is really full of these very good cards, and depending on how you want to answer these cards, that determines what you're going to do. Are you going to go over the top? Are you going to strip it out of their hand? Are you going to make sure you've got counter magic open? It's all up to you, and these decks are loaded and ready for that. People knew to expect a certain amount of one ring coming in, and they were ready for it, and it it helped decks, but it didn't define any matchup. It didn't define any victory. Nothing like that was going on. All right, so fantastic Pro Tour, and Modern does look to be in good shape. Moving on over to the top paper movers, we've got Palantir of Orthanc, Extended Arts kicking things off out of the Lord of the Rings uh, collector boosters, 11 to 15.50. This one's a little curious to me, having 40% movement, given that it's only in 5,900 decks on EDH Rec uh, reported so far. That's only 1% of all the decks that could run it. Now, as a colorless card, that's not particularly surprising, but it's still not even in the top 10 most played cards from the set. Now, personally, I've thought it was fantastic every time I've tabled it in EDH. Right. Uh, but to me, it seems very medium in terms of overall demand profile. And of course, it has no demand outside of EDH. No, it's it's a commander-only card. It's the only, you know, there's the foil extended arts are ridiculously rare. So this is the fancier version of the card. There's no other version to go get. Uh, we'll see if this keeps up. It could be the invisible hand of the casual market at play here, and just people want to have this card because you've you've had it in play enough to know one or two counters, and all of a sudden, like people really just want to let you have the scry in the draw. They don't want to mess around with it. Conduit of Ruin in Eldrazi at a battle for Zendikar that I'm assuming was not reprinted in the deck that's, that's coming correct. out this week is kind of a must-include. I just dropped one into the Eldrazi list I'm pulling together earlier this evening. And you're always going to run this because for six mana, you're getting a 5-5. Five, five. But then whenever you cast it, you you search your library for a colorless creature with converted mana cost seven or greater. So you're going to get one of your big Eldrazi on top of getting this into play. And then the first creature spell you cast each turn costs two less to cast. So if it's still in play on your next turn, your setup is likely that you're going to cast an 8-13 to 13 drop and and really go to town well i mean it was good enough for me to highlight it two weeks ago when i talked about what they did in print we'll see if the other two picks from that deck the uh, sanctum of ugin and ugin the spirit dragon start popping off too gearson starn uh keller morph out of the 40k list five to eight dollars excellent edh commander i run every couple weeks or so in our pods at a on rotation and uh very unique play pattern, very fun commander to build around. Uh, not particularly surprised to see it making a bit of a move. Chatterfang Squirrel General, of course, we talked about last week uh, being part of the food deck that uh, included Ionis and took down, uh, or Lonus, sorry, Lonus, and took down the Modern Challenge a week ago. As a result, foils from MH2 going $12 to $20, and I think I told people to watch Retros and Borderless foils last week as well, and they've been showing some motion. Subtly, out of MH2, regular copies, 15 to 26 that's on the back of increased modern usage. You see it in the Rhinos lists, you see it in the blue-black control lists in modern, and 
a few other decks as well. And it's just, you know, part of this ongoing roller coaster with all of these elementals that have all proven to be extremely powerful in the context of the modern format. Void Winnower out of BFZ, another Eldrazi that wasn't reprinted, 14 to 26 on the back of that new Commander Masters deck that comes out this week. We've got PNLR, Console of Revival Showcase. I called the foils uh, on this a short time ago, and the non-foils are following as well on the back of the Pioneer deck that runs this as a cornerstone four of, moving from 2.75 to $5, 81% gains, and I would imagine there's still some meat on the bone given how poorly this set sold. We actually had an article on the state of design, the annual one from Marrow, uh, Mark Rosewater, earlier today, and one of the things he flagged was that Unfinity and Aftermath had done the most poorly for them in the last year. So that seems to suggest that key signal singles from the Aftermath set are worth watching a little more carefully, as we've already suspected. Yeah, but uh, hopefully it means they're not going to do any more of its own booster pack kind of thing that they, they did for Aftermath. If we see any more st- stuff like this, it might end up more of a bonus sheet in a regular set. Reading between the lines, I think they will try this again, but I think they'll try it with a larger set size. Or a you know, a more powerful set of cards, perhaps. I don't know, maybe just the complaint is that it was underpowered for what it was offering. I, I think the repetition was the biggest problem, so I think they just they need to steer yeah. clear of fifty card sets, um, or sell them in a more microtransaction style scenario. Yeah, you know what you're getting. I would like to see them do something interesting like here's a here's a subset like that but it's put out alongside March of the Machine and when you buy X amount of product from the vendor you get the chance to buy one of those packs. Hmm. So so that it encourages people to spend a bunch of money within that time frame that they want it to sell and they spend extra on these bonus packs but the bonus packs have like specific themes like it could be modern specific cards it could be edh specific cards etc um and again if they had a proper tracking software for all of this that would be the kind of data that would be (laughs) solid gold but there's a lot of data they could be collecting that they aren't but that's a whole separate podcast cast into the fire lord of the rings foils go a dollar fifty to three that's a double up good against the ring it's good against x1s and there are uh, several examples of both permanent types that need to be dealt with in modern you saw cast into the fire and a whole bunch of sideboards in this pro tour silence was brought out against the uh, teamer cascade decks at the pro tour out of the sideboard they would basically just uh, silence in response to the shardless agent being cast so that it blocked the rhinos from being cast off the cascade trigger it's pretty great one white mana to counter the rhinos it's hard to argue with that so this is the m10 foils going 30 to 60 dollars and the tsr obfs are over 80 with very few copies left on tcg player yeah it hasn't had a reprint uh that's been it right it was in uh time spell remastered magic 10 magic 11 and magic 14 also had a list uh copy showing up in old border non-foil so there's a surprising amount of these but the the original foil has really spiked and i think this is the only time i've seen it ever cast on camera at a pro tour and this is the this is what camera this is what uh live matches are for we get to find out you know what they sideboard in and when it looks so so good 
Temple of Epiphany, Surge Foils at a 40k, $1.75 to 5, that's ongoing Surge Foil targeting, resting on top of some relatively modest player demand. Timestream and Navigator, one of the bigger spikes of the week, out of Rivals of Ixalan, 375 to 11 for non-foils. It combos with the new Doctor Who commander that like, that uh, interacts with the bottom of your library. Similarly, Soldevi Digger, all the way back from Alliances, $1.75 to 7. Pulled a couple copies out of that of that out of my box today. That also combos with the new Doctor Who Commander. And then we have Troll of Casa Doom uh, foils. And of course, this is the Swamp Cycler to Lorian, Lorian Revealed's uh, Island Cycler. And at first I thought this was just a fo- like a follow-on bandwagon spec where people figured, oh, well, if... Lorian Revealed can take off. I may as well pick up some cheap foils of Troll because maybe they're going to find a home sooner or later. But apparently that's already happened. Uh, Gary Thompson of SCG fame apparently tabled a Legacy Blue Black deck. And I picked up on a tweet today where somebody said they ran it through a Legacy League and went uh, 5-0. and And they were running, I think, two copies of Troll in the main instead of Lorian Revealed on the basis that I guess they want to be able to present a threat and Swamp Cycle more than they want to be able to draw cards later and Island Cycle. Well, I mean, you want to shave, if you're going to shave a land for a cycler, you got to think about what kind of land you want to cycle for the most, and then what your end game plan is. Do you want to draw cards, like you said, or do you want a, this is a six mana card, right? It's like a six five or something. Yeah. So they decided that they can shave a couple land slots, get this in there, and if they have a chance to cast it as a creature, fantastic. Speaking of Lorian Revealed, uh, went 50 cents to 250, 400% gains as a the surprise modern staple that did indeed show up at the Pro Tour. LSV posted an article for Channel Fireball on YouTube uh, today or yesterday that was entitled uh, "The Best Card, The Best Lord of the Rings Card in Modern?" question mark And the an- it was very clickbaity because the answer was not Lorian Revealed. It was clearly <laughs> Orcish Bowmasters or the One Ring, um, but. LSV basically said, like, for blue decks, this is certainly one of the top five cards out of the set for Modern because it allows them to put their fetch, essentially, in their back pocket, wait till the end of the opponent's turn, and counterspell as necessary before coming back around at the start of their turn cycle. Yeah, land cycling one lets you find not just a basic, so... It's getting a triome a lot of the time. Yeah, we're going to see a lot of this going forward in Modern. Uh, If you... Haven't tried shaving a land for this in assorted commander decks. Uh, you're missing out because this is a pretty great effect that you're like one mana and go find whichever awesome land I want. Sign me up. I would imagine we will see. I mean, we see some of it in Living End alongside uh, Oliphant, I believe. Right. But I would imagine we'll also see it in some reanimator style builds at some point because you can search up the Triome or or a dual land or in Legacy, you can go get a Watery Grave, I mean, not a Watery Grave, a uh, Underground Sea, and and then potentially reanimate it, and it's a 6-5 that I think takes three creatures to block it or something like that. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Moving on, we've got Rito Lantern, another bottom-of-deck card, foils from Conspiracy going $1.50 to 8 I believe the originals are from Kamigawa Block. They'll be even more pricey. Again, comboing with that Doctor Who commander. And then Flump showed up as a four of in a new modern combo deck uh, out of Adventures in Forgotten Realms. Non-foils going 50 cents to $3 for 500% gains. And I think the 
There is a ampersand promo of that too that doubled in price over the course of the week. <laughs> I even I always forget that there was ampersands for every card in that set, so uh, every rare and mythic, right? I don't think they did it for commons and yes, so, correct. Even, even like the crappy car, crappy rares got ampersand promo. So the Flumph deck is meme cool and it's got potential because yes, if you've got a sixty-three card deck. And you trigger uh, indestructible flump plus bowmasters. That is, I win unless you have some spot removal. But it's it's pretty hilarious. I don't think it's for real. And if I had copies, I would be selling them as quickly as I could. And this is because flump is a zero four flying defender uh, for one of the white. Yeah. When it's dealt damage you and target opponent each draw a card. So a Bowmaster trigger into a Flumph is just going to draw cards, deal damage, draw cards, deal damage, draw cards, deal damage. Yeah, so you have to give it an indestructible with uh, an extra spell. So it's a three-card combo that will win you the game if you have more cards in your library than your opponent. So the meme decks are running like 63 cards. And the deck is the deck is running a Selfless Savior four blacksmith skill and four ephemeral shields as the way to get the indestructibility on their flump. It's so funny. I did build this in arena and I tried it out. Feels like a fantastic F and M deck. It really does. If you want, if you want to have fun, let's go and let's have a good time. All right. Moving over to magic online. We've got dark slick shores out of one going 0.24 to 0.44 ticks. That's 83% gains on standard play. And that's pretty much the story for the rest of this. Haughty Jin out of DMU, 0. 0.38 to 0.75, 97% gains. And Screlv, Defector Might, 0. 0.48 to 0.99 ticks. All relatively small ball specs, but the kind of things that people might have picked off early on when they were dirt cheap on the premise that, for instance, something like Dark Slick Shores, duels in standard often go up on Magic Online the year after they're printed uh, as... Uh, sets need to be put together constraining the supply and then there's the total number of cards being drafted drops dramatically as you move through the drafting cycle so depending on how things are stashed into the treasure chest stuff like this can show significant gains given enough breathing space with you on that let's talk about the cards to watch because i want you to tell me all about uh, your plans for these elementals yeah i'm going to start with a cell call and the card in question is fury not only is Fury almost certainly peaking, I originally called this on cast, I think it was April of 2022, if I'm not mistaken. I have to go back and double check that. But I think the call was for it to go 30 to 50 or 30 to 60. We have already blown well past that. You're when you're looking at borderless foils, you're now talking about a minimum of $150 on TCG Player. There are only five copies listed. They are all listed at that price. So, sell. <laughs> <laughs> if you got in when I told you to at 30, you're at a five times minus fees and shipping, which is as good as it's likely to get on this cast. So, the Elementals have dodged reprints in their it's entirety amazing, so far. right? I mean, it's not amazing. I mean, I will advance the argument that most significant rares and mythics are still going to go two or more years before catching a reprint. So they're at about the two-year mark now. 
they kept the set in print the whole time. That, I was going to say that's it, the big thing that none of us really knew they were going to do is keep this set in print as long as they did. And my understanding is it is now out of print and has been for a, a, like six weeks or something like that. Yeah, a but the But that still, they know that they put plenty of this inventory into the market. And they don't care how many foil borderless are in the market. That's not what they're looking at. They're paying attention to usage patterns in modern legacy and EDH and the amount of regular copies and the and the price curves of those copies if I'm if I'm guessing. So with so few left in the market and the price is so high and the play pattern's so good given the uh, prevalence of this in multiple lists in modern, you want to just go ahead and sell into that. And then I'll pair this with my second pick since they're connected. Grief Borderless Foil has certainly been also picked on this cast at some previous date, but it kind of doesn't matter because there's a time frame here where you can make a different kind of move. If there's one criticism I get for picks on this cast from the pro traders is that they, as makes sense to do, prefer shorter term opportunities where they are very strong, as opposed to holding into the foreseeable future, especially now that we're in an era where reprints are so frequent and a card like grief or fury might go four or five years without a reprint or it might get a reprint back to back as we're going to talk about on some other staples uh, shortly here and so grief borderless foils i'm sure on were called on cast below 40 dollars. there was a point where grief was being played in basically nothing in modern and so the price was quite cheap but over the last year, the foils have gone from 35 or so to a current price point of about 75. And I have a dis- strong reason to believe that Grief is going to follow Fury. They are played as four ofs alongside each other in Black Red Scam. Black Red Scam won the Pro Tour. There might be some players that decide to opt into that list and continue to evolve it as time goes on. And we're down to just 11 listings. There's really only... You know, a double handful of copies, maybe a triple handful of copies from TCG Player, eBay, and major vendors in North America that are below this like $80 price point. And if you want to buy now and flip quick at $100, $120 uh, as the these start to hollow out, that seems like a pretty good place to be. You don't want to be there for the super long term because these for sure are catching a reprint at some point. Right. But there is probably a three to six month opportunity here on foil borderless grief. And if you've got foil borderless furies already in stock, you can sell some of those and, and get into some griefs for a quicker flip. You might be holding both of them already, in which case it's time to sell fury grief. You can wait a little longer and then expect that they're going to, you know, the, the opportunity will look very similar by the time all is said and done. I've been thinking about the time frame of things too. I've got two picks that are due relatively soon as well because of exactly that, the reprints that are going on. I think that the elementals, especially in borderless foil that you've highlighted, they're unlikely to catch a reprint before the end of the calendar year. So you've got time. I agree with you on grief. You've got time to buy in here. And given that the deck won the pro tour everybody knew it was going to be a big problem in and nobody found like a catch-all solution for it their solution was we're going to play cards that can rebound off the top of the deck you know one good shardless agent and i'm back in the game uh one big tron piece landing and like boom here's an oblivion stone 
here's an Ugin, here's a Worm Coil, whatever it is. So like that was their plan to deal with the scam deck. So I'm I'm with you on these picks. I, I agree that it's time to let go of the Furies. You've probably made an, an excellent uh, profit on those. And there should be some meat on the bone for grief, especially if you're operating on a shorter timeline. I'm with you. And especially for the people that can sell on using TCG Player Direct, the lowest price on there right now is 150 So arguably there's Ooh, an ar- um, immediate arbitrage. You pick up the $75 copies that are still listed on TCG Player, you post on Direct at 139 and you're now the lowest Direct with a Love very it. solid profit margin built in. Yeah, getting on Direct is, is good stuff. We need to talk about that on Cast at some point too. All right, how about your selections this week? Uh, this week, I've got two picks that are in line with what's coming out later this year. Uh, first up, I have Chronomantic Escape, the white spell out of Future Sight. That is uh, got the repeat thing going on where it suspends itself after it's cast. It says creatures can't attack you and then exile it with three time counters on it. This was an uncommon in Future Sight. Uh, you can get foils right now, uh, near mint foils. For around $5, you can get crappier foils in worse condition. But I think that given the time travel mechanic, and uh, if you build it Jeskai, if you get a Doctor Companion who's you know, got wide in their cost, uh, there's almost none of these on TCG Player. It's trending upward. It hasn't gotten bought out yet because the time travel Doctor is red-blue. But since you can add a Companion of presumably any color, I imagine by the time we see all the Companions, you'll have your choice that adding the time travel effect where you get to move three uh, counters, then this just means nobody can attack you at all, forever. Every time, as long as you can do the time travel thing for seven mana. And while that doesn't seem like the most busted thing you can do, somebody's going to remove your commander, it's going to make you sad, this is the kind of thing that uh, I would expect to see this in the actual deck, if not um, the collector boosters that we're going to see i don't know how many what the ratio is of reprints is to new cards but if this dodges that reprint it'll at least double up to 10 in foil and maybe go higher because this was future site this was 2007 so there's almost none around the presumed companion here is rose tyler who's the billy piper character companion to the the black the 10th doctor and she's a 2-2 that gets plus one plus one for each time counter on her and then she has an ability called bad wolf whenever rose tyler attacks put a time counter on it for each suspended card you own and each other permanent you control with a time counter on it so she can be attacking as a fairly large creature but doesn't really have any other interactions that said you're probably going to run it just to get access to the white spells like out of time and and the one you're listing here chronomatic escape and some others um because jeskai is going to be a pretty natural home for these time shenanigans yeah so, I, I, again, we haven't gotten a lot of detail on how things are going to be distributed, and I don't know yet enough about how many we're going... Like, you know, there's commander decks and there's collector boosters to go with it, so it might end up as a reprint in one of those, but I don't think we would get it in foil. And anyway, this is an original foil from 16 years ago, so I think it'd be okay. Alrighty, what, is, what about your final selection here? Uh, my other pick is a fairy spec 
because you know uh wilds of eldraine is out in five weeks uh scion of una was printed in lorwyn and modern masters one which was 2011 and has not been printed since because it gives the ability that wizards doesn't like which is shroud and so you can get uh foils of this card from modern masters for about 12 the Lorwyn copies are a bit more expensive. Those are closer to $18 to $20 for a card that looks almost exactly the same. So we're looking at cards that are not likely to be reprinted in foil. We might get a non-foil if we get a fairy-themed commander precon, but they're not going to give us this shroud again. They've, they've really gone away from shroud. We might get a hexproof fairy, but for uh, anybody who tries to build a fairy deck, this is going to be one of the things you absolutely have to have, giving all of your fairies 1-1 one, one shroud and at flash speed. You've got two choices for where to get a foil, but like I said, both of those are old. Both of those are not in a realm where there were a lot of copies, and indeed there's not a lot left now. So the numbers are really small. It should work out well that this bumps up, that the Modern Masters foils bump up to $20 or so. Um, you could also decide to go in on the Lorwyn foils. I would expect those to have a pretty big jump as well. There's a couple of reasons this seems very wise and, and then a cautionary yield sign, I guess. The fact that it has Shroud, as you, as you astutely flagged, means it's not getting a reprint here. They're not going to reprint a Shroud card into Standard. That's just not where they seem to be headed, and that's why we haven't seen a reprint of the card. And cards that are Shadow Banned like that can make for very good specs. I mean, as you said, we're over a decade since the last printing of this card. Yeah, can you believe uh, this hasn't been in any secret lair yet? I couldn't. I honestly thought this was a thing, and then it turns out it's not. The other thing is, we know that the subset of cards available in the Collector Boosters are all enchantments, in the same way that the Brothers War ones were all artifacts. So there's no risk of a reprint in there, as a thing where they would put it into the, the Collector Boosters, but not into Standard. There's also, uh, it's also encouraging that we've seen Talion the Kindly Lord as a blue-black fairy commander, because that suggests that the fairies are still, you know, haven't pivoted into different colors or something that would lock this out of people wanting to play it. But the cautionary portion of this is Talion doesn't care about fairies at all. Right. Talion is a two-blue-black two fairy noble flying 3-4, and when it enters the battlefield, you choose a number between 1 and 10. Whenever an opponent casts a spell with mana value, power, or toughness equal to the chosen number, that player loses 2 life and you draw a card. That looks like an excellent commander that just messes with people constantly and can leverage a lot of bounce spells. Yeah, you're just going to do a, a good stuff deck. You're not necessarily building a fairy deck there. Well, you're going to do, do a tricky deck that yeah, makes tricky, them cast sure. things that makes them pick things up all the time and makes them recast them. And the Battalion doesn't have doesn't mention fairies at all. So if that ends up being the only major fairy lord that we get, that would be not beneficial to Sayanabuna. Now, on the other hand, there should be some Eldraine commander decks that are released and maybe one of those will have a fairy theme. If so, wouldn't be super surprised to see Sayan of Una in there, although maybe Shroud buys it a pass and if it does get the pass there but people are building fairy decks then this spec gets activated and gets really hot pretty fast 
Well, on TCG Player right now, um, they have a a thing for it, for what you can get, and they say that you can get a case with either a blue-black fairy-themed deck, is what it looks like from the package art, or a uh, green-white Virtue and Valor deck. So okay, so that I mean that suggests that we're you know it's the, it's the final question that I posed, which is right. does it catch the reprint there? If it doesn't, then this is probably going to be great. We'll find out the fun way. All right. So of these, I think the the Fury Borderless Foil Cell Call is the best, just because it's the most obvious, and you know you definitely don't need to get greedy, and even try to get the hundred and fifty that's out there. You can sell this for anywhere north of a hundred, and you're doing very well, probably based on your likely in entry point. Um, whether you activate it on the basis of this cast call in April of 2022 or at some other point, you're probably in great position to to benefit uh both of your calls seem real solid to me if the stars align in the right way uh and uh, we'll check back in on those as the months go by moving on over to the weekly topics you wanted to touch on the banned and restricted timeline and uh, maybe we can provide a little commentary on whether or not we think they're going to make any moves here right so you and i've already talked a lot about the pro tour that was on our agenda of things to discuss i'm not sure what else you'd want to add about the event itself, the structure, what we saw. It went down really well. The Pro Tour is always going to have some combination of limited and constructed. It's just a great way to, to skill, to show off like the different skills that are necessary in Magic. It's also a great way for them to sell the set that is being drafted. So I don't think you're going to see a change in that if you're cranky about you just want all constructed all the time. Uh, tune back in for other big events. It won't be a Pro Tour. The next big thing is Worlds at Vegas. Right. Which should be quite the tournament. That should That's be pretty in cool. September. So uh, do you think... I don't think from what we saw in Modern, I'm expecting any bans. Uh, nope, I, I agree. And I mentioned that. I think that Standard... I've still, I'm still hesitant about Shieldred. I'm not going to lie. The fact that if you're going to build a deck with black... You need to start with a playset of what's non-foil shield right now. It's at something stupid right now. Um, it's got a, a real big price tag, and there's no spot to reprint it easily because it is in standard. So I'm not sure. Re regular shielders are $65. Right, so you're looking at $260 to start with a playset of shielders. <laughs> And that's a yeah. big obstacle for standard, which, uh, aside from like a couple of Chase Mythics, is really affordable at this point. So I think they they'll want to bring that down. I don't think they're going to use the ban hammer to do it. I think a reprint for this somehow is more likely than a ban, because the card is very good. It's not ban worthy as a power level card, but it is problematic in terms of a construction and accessibility thing you know what i mean maybe i could see it as a top eight fnm like a, a winner of an fnm sure. card that they hand throw out it in the list lgs's that's possible for sure but they've already they already gave us a reprint like this this card got reprinted in the first six months so whether or not they're they're gonna do that do that again that's a marginal reprint, man. That was that was in a, a premium slot of uh, later on. Like, but I see mm -hmm. what you're saying. They knew that. They, I'm pretty sure they knew they would need more of this card. Yeah. It was so yeah, aggressively yeah, yeah. printed, costed. 
and and I honestly, think... I, and honestly, given how it, that played out, at least the first reprint, as much as you know, people like Derek might think it's egregious. That one kind of <laughs> makes sense given where we've ended up because I called this back in November to be the next Meat Hook Massacre. No, um, November, December. Let me just find something that like that. Was. Yeah, that's over in Be- the Best Ideas channel. But you're absolutely accurate because Meat Hook, if it hadn't gotten banned, would have uh, even with, with a ban, it was still a fifty, sixty, seventy dollar card, and that's with no standard play. Shieldred is arguably even more popular than Meat Hook Massacre because of the commander appeal, and if you want to play black, then you have there's you this is an accessibility issue like i said you're looking at a big layout of money especially because this is going to be good for the next two years and change shouldered isn't going to rotate for the longest time so i think if we saw anything for standard this is the card that is most like possible i don't think it's i don't think it's probable i think it is of all the cards that could get banned this is the one that i I would be the least surprised by i think fable the mirror breaker in well, Pioneer. Right, is, in Pioneer. It is certainly a possibility. Bowmasters and the One Ring for Modern, alongside all the Elementals, as I said earlier, they all just seem to be of a similarly elevated power level. I think they're going to leave that leave that alone. The Modern they're, Tournament was very successful. It was very diverse. It went off as well as I think any Pro Tour ever has. Yeah. And, and has a good story in the final narrative. So I think it's just going to be left alone for now. Um, I think so, too. Plus, they they definitely would not mess with this before the Lord of the Rings holiday release. I think you said that earlier. So they're they're not going to mess with it before the holiday release comes out. After the holiday release... And the reason we're saying that is because we're assuming there's reprints of these cards there. I I would be surprised if there there weren't reprints from the original set. I don't think this is a whole new... Oh, no, we we know there are. It's just a question of how many and which ones. But I I think it's going to be most of the major staples. And there's no way they skipped Bowmasters and One Ring. Yeah, they they knew these would be good. And I agree with you. In fact, if I were to put down money, I would say Pioneer's ban of Fable is more likely than Standard's ban of Shieldred. Sure, possibly. The, I mean, the, the Shieldred being present in Standard helps move DMU and one booster packs. And if you're extending Standard, that's kind of what the reason you were doing it. That's the reason Wizards is agreeing to extend Standard, because they want to keep product flowing. Right. At a lower level, you know, way lower level than a trickle, as opposed to a flood during the first four weeks of a release. But it's the trickle they're after. They want to, and it's not for them because that product has already moved off their bench and to the distributors and onto the the LGSs. But they're trying to help the LGSs to keep keep moving product through keeping standard alive. If they didn't think that was important, standard would have been dead, like during COVID. Yeah. The, uh, and I, I don't mean dead in the sense that nobody was playing at the time. I mean they just would have retired the format. And the fact that they didn't means that they realize that it is integral to a comprehensive LGS strategy. The It's interesting. I want to go back and look at this Shieldred pick that I actually tabled for cast number 355. This was December 20th of last year. At the time, you could get Foil, Phyrexian, Shieldreds at 100, and I called it to go 100 to 150 within a year. Currently, you can still get a copy, and it's actually the direct copy, at 7870 on oh. TCG Player, which I think is a steal because we're down to 19 listings. Despite it being uh, 
it peaking at 120 and proving me right in February. It has since fallen off as the hype cycle has rotated, but it's still hollowing out. These only sell like onesie twosie per day. Uh, that's not true. It's, it's more like three or four copies a day, which is pretty strong actually. And the ramp is very steep. There are only three copies here under $100. And then we get back to being 20 to $40 above my original entry point predicted. This looks like a future $150 to $200 card to me still. And it only in part depends on standard since I doubt people are putting $600 worth of Shieldred in their standard decks. Now it's worth mentioning that in terms of premium copies of Shieldred, the, we're talking Shieldred 4 mana, the Apocalypse version. Correct. We, It's messing me up mentally that there is literally a card called Shieldred by itself that is five mana as opposed to original shieldred at seven mana but we're talking about the apocalypse and there is a phyrexian version a showcase version a concept version a textured version and a step and complete version so like there's a, a lot of premiums to choose from but i'm with you that the phyrexian is always going to be just a, a step above everything else because it's so damn cool i mean the showcase is, is cool too but the the premise here isn't so much hinging on standard as it is some combination of pioneer, lesser modern, and legacy play. It does show up in both those formats occasionally on the fringes, and but mostly about EDH. This is in a year later, well, just shy of a year later, we can see that this is you know has fulfilled all expectations in in on EDH rec. It's at forty seven thousand decks included, and as a commander, fifty eight hundred. And that's 5% of all black decks running a copy of Shouldered. Every time I table it, it becomes, or see somebody table it against me, it's the thing that has to be killed next, usually at the table. And rightfully so. Yeah, you're usually lucky if you get it off for a better round. And that's even without comboing with wheels and stuff like that. That's just people are annoyed immediately that drawing <laughs> one or two cards on their turn is going to cost them life. They might have a Ristic or an Esper Sentinel that this interferes with. And yeah, <laughs> they don't like it, so it usually dies. No, and that's true. I think that the bottom line is that the ban BNR is probably a nothing burger, but if they were going to take a swipe at Pioneer, I would imagine it would be multiple things because you wouldn't want to hamstring one of the major decks and make the other two or three pillars of the format that much better. Like if you hurt black-red mid-range, but you leave mono-green and lotus field as is, then you're not really, not really helping your situation. So... They would have to kind of detune the whole for the top end of the format, and I, I just I don't see the reason. I mean, despite seeing black and red and mono green show up in these top eights constantly, that format still seems good too. It's not as good as modern because the card pool is not as as large, but it's still good. Like I don't think they need to do much. I agree. Uh, we can probably probably move on over here to the Wilds of Eldraine preview cards that we got shown. Probably the biggest story here is that they're, the subset that they're using to sell this standard set is similar in nature to what we saw with uh, Strixhaven, where they gave us uh, a bunch of instants and sorceries, as Brothers War, where they gave us a bunch of artifacts. We always knew that they would come around to the other permanent types, and in this particular case, it's Enchanting Tales, which is a bunch of reprinted enchantments. And in part presumably because they just don't care about the reprint cadence as much as they used to seem to, and in part because they're hamstrung by needing to print interesting enchantments that primarily EDH players will care about, 
we are getting immediate back-to-back reprints of Smothering Tithe, which hasn't even come out yet. It's <laughs> coming out Friday. Yeah, yeah. In, in Commander Masters. And before we even get to that release, we're being told there are even more Smothering Tithes coming out and doubling season. And the doubling season is one is extra weird because not only should the doubling season in Commander Masters probably have been Parallel Lives or Anointed Procession, both of which need reprints themselves at rare, but if you give a, gave us doubling season in Commander Masters, then 100% the the one in enchanting tales should be anointed procession or parallel lives right the fact that there's literally uh, a green and a white enchantment that are crying out for reprints in parallel lives and anointed procession and the fact that they chose to double tap doubling season and smothering tithe uh it i can't the the thing that you you pointed out and it, it blows my damn mind i can handle the fact that they think doubling season smothering tithe these are staples that can handle being printed a couple times in a row everybody plays the ever loving hell out of these cards that doesn't stress me out as much as the fact that they chose to preview these cards at the pro tour a week before commander masters came out they are undercutting the value of doubling season and smothering time in commander masters by saying this is going to be available again a month five weeks later yeah so like it's really that part is i i can i can sort of wrap my brain around the idea that there are so many teams doing so many reprints they don't always check with each other seems dumb but apparently that's what's going on this is either planned or not planned and i don't know which is worse I would love to know if there actually is a somebody who's part of their job description is reprint management. There should be. Yeah, I'll do it for a dollar. And I will tweak these decisions in a way that will still make them just as much money and will piss way less people off. James, you wouldn't be able to do this anymore. (laughs) I honestly think this is about 20 minutes of work per set to just go through their proposed list and say, hey... You don't need doubling season in that slot. We can make that parallel lives. And then you can do doubling season in Enchanting Tales. Listen, you're, you're, you're talking reasonable sense here, and that's not what, what we're here for. It is worth stressing again that it's not as simple as people think it is. Smothering Tide has gone from rare to mythic. That's a big jump up. So even though they're giving it to you twice here, and there will be plenty of Smothering Tides released in the next three months as a result, it's... It's a lot different for the card being a mythic than a rare. So it's not going to fall. It's not going to fall to the level that you might think it would if it had been reprinted at rare twice that that often. And doubling season is going to take up, I, I think, a big hit here because this is like it's eighth or ninth reprinting or something at this point. It's generally recovered very well so far. I, I'm a big believer that the reprint era still has tons of ways to make money, including long term holds. You're just not going to get lucky as, as often as you used to. But, you know, I still believe that once you have reprinted a super staple X amount of times within three years, you prevent it from ever getting back to a prior ceiling. It's it's going to be really tough for, you know, doubling season to be an $80 plus card again. And it's going to be really tough for Smothering Tithe to be a $40 plus card. So the question uh, begs on something like that. Doubling season can absolutely get to $80 again 
if it doesn't get hit in the next three years. Yeah, and, and, and again, the common logic would have been the next time it'll be parallel lives, and the next time after that it'll be anointed procession because we need right. those two. And there's even parallel evolution, right, that they've given us in, in secret layers. So <laughs> they can easily have these things on rotation that makes a little more sense. I agree. The other big hits here that have been reprinted in the last year is a Ristic study and with fantastic art, by the way. Well, there's there's two arts. We, we haven't gotten to that point part yet where uh there's actually a enchanting tales and then there's borderless versions presumably yeah. we know that the enchanting tales there's going to be one per draft booster pack so i would presume that's going to be non-foil in this non-borderless style so then we'll see about uh the borderless is probably going to be a comm- a collector booster thing We'll see. We haven't gotten specifics. We might even have another situation where, um, actually, in fact, we do have this situation. Uh, you said that it's mythic. This is important because at least one of the revealed uh, enchanting tales is rare, and one's uncommon. Yes. Yeah, so, that's why I f- that's why I flagged it because the yeah. it, we're going to be in the situation like we were with Strixhaven, where demonic tutor and a couple of others of the mythics were able to hold high price points. And then the fancy, fancy version of that, which was the Japanese foil set booster or draft booster sourced version, was multiple hundreds of dollars. And they're doing a twinkly new treatment. Confetti foil. Confetti foil. That looks really good. It's a stupid name, but looks... I, I would have called it <laughs> uh, t- Twilight or something. Like I was just going to say Twilight Vampire foil. Don't, don't you dare vampire, pull stuff but, out of my head. Even like, yeah, I, Starlight, Twilight, something like that, way better than Confetti, which has no relevance no, in this. No, it should be, in should be this, called Twilight Vampire. So anyway, they're mythics. Smothering Tithe, Ristic Study, Doubling Season, and the other big one that was in the 30th bundles last October or November is Necropotence with new art, which is very, you know, a fantastic EDH card with big, big numbers. The other ones they showed off are Greater Oromancy, Curiosity, Aggravated Assault, and Prismatic Omen. This will be a fairly large subset, similar to what we got in Brothers War, similar to what we got in Strixhaven. And if you're worried about specs from this subset, remember, just focus on the enchantments. Because there's, (laughs) given what we've seen so far, almost nothing seems safe. But there's only so many big cards they can put at Mythic in certain colors. So, for instance, I wouldn't expect to see Parallel Lives here alongside Doubling Season. That would feel weird. That would be pretty weird, yes. Especially if you're allowed to play these in draft. These are non-standard legal. So uh, let's see. What does the article say? Uh, they're available there. They're My guess is that they're draft player. legal because that's what they did with Brothers War. Yeah, I remember that. They were also, uh, the Mystic Archives were legal in the um, the draft format for Strixhaven because you could go for like the Mizzix Mastery deck and whatnot. So apparently the whole deal here is that each two-color combination in Wilds of Eldraine is going to be centered around a specific fairy tale. And then all of the cards that... There's, well, not all of the cards in those colors, but a bunch of the cards in those colors are going to support that tale. And the tale is going to be told, I think, on the showcase cards. So you can see, for instance, that the the Ristic Study and the Curiosity have quotes from a story called The Merfolk Who Walked. So those are Definitely. cool. And those are cool in terms of collectibles that you can put put together in your binder and kind of have the whole story play out 
Let's flip over to the cards from the main set that they revealed. One of the tidbits that was shared was that there's going to be just one Planeswalker per set for the foreseeable future in Standard, which means a total de-emphasis of the Planeswalker card type, and also suggests to me that you're going to see fewer reprints of key Planeswalkers. So very high play pattern uh, EDH Planeswalkers, like Teferi Master of Time, might go years and years without a reprint. I can see why they'd want to change the number of Planeswalkers. If you're doing three years of standard, that is a lot of Planeswalker interactions you have to watch out for. And the the games with lots of Planeswalkers can also get pretty bogged down. So this makes sense. It lets you be a little more... Um, it's, it, as far as I know, that's not what's going on. What's going on well, is that they are de-sparking the Planeswalkers and de-emphasizing them because commander players play creatures as their commanders and they didn't want to keep having to print commanders that you could use that set that were planeswalkers that said you can use this as your commander they would rather just have those characters be legendary creatures so that you can play them as your commander you mean people aren't battering down the doors to play oathbreaker <laughs> i mean that was their attempt right and since that didn't go so, didn't go so hot this is where we're at and nobody nobody's doing brawl in in paper are you kidding me i'm shocked shocked i say there's definitely a di- an ongoing disconnect where they're trying to reconcile the nature of the ip and the planeswalker centric nature of that lore over many years versus the demands of their dominant format i mean planeswalkers are are just value engines and you need to be i i think that the standard part of it comes in also the the commander demand comes in as well because it's just a lot to keep putting in for they've been doing three or four planeswalkers per set and mostly they're not terribly sought after cards they've really been powering down planeswalkers honestly well, I mean, it's yes and no. I mean, they've given us things like Mince and Boo and Ren and Six and various Nisses that have been broken in Standard uh, and and in Pioneer and Mono Green, for that matter. And I don't think it's that, we're, that all reprint avenues are shut down. I think it's the Standard sets that, that they've premised as one Planeswalker per set. Obviously, with things like Commander Masters and Secret Layer, you're going to st- still see plenty of them because they're still at least for now, known very well-known characters. And those will be good reprint avenues for the key the key Planeswalkers. But less less reprint risk, at least in the standard environment. Now, right. we may as well I talk about the Planeswalker they did show us, which is Ashiok, Wicked Manipulator. This whole Eldraine thing seems to be enchantment-focused. Uh, Ashiok, of course, is from Theros, which is the other Enchantments Matters th- uh, plane. So this version is a three double black for a five loyalty planeswalker. If you would pay life while your library has at least that many cards in it, exile that many cards from the top of your library instead. Boy, if you have a Bolus's Citadel in play, this gets really nasty really fast. That's a quick way to burn through your deck, man. I don't. I, I hope you win when you do this. But yes, uh, I, I agree with you. This is going to enable a lot of shenanigans, and I, I can't wait to see what kind of things people do to, to break this card. The plus one is look at the top two cards of your library, exile one of them, put it 
the other into your hand. Minus two is create two one one black nightmare creature tokens with at the beginning of combat on your turn. If a card was put into exile this turn, put a plus one plus one counter on this creature. And then the minus seven is target player exiles the top X cards of their library, where X is the total mana value of cards you own in exile. Interesting potential control card in standard and in EDH, where this could combo with uh, several other things to be sneaky good. Like, for instance, in a Prosper deck, where you're playing cards from exile on a regular basis anyway, this this certainly has a home. And... I would imagine there could end up being a, you know, Esper or uh, Sultai or Mardu control build in standard that will make use of this as the, as the finisher where you, if there's some other cards that care about paying life for stuff. Right. Anything that pays life is going to see, we're going to see a whole lot of things spike over the next few weeks like oh you get to pay life with this card oh you get to pay life with this card and we'll we'll see if any of them are good i don't think they necessarily spike off ashiok because the thing is that it can't be your commander right so those are some of the specs that are the most dangerous where you're like this is a two card combo with a card they just revealed but the card only sees a modest to medium amount of play in a in a smattering of decks that's not where you want to be on specs you want to be like where all of your you know good specs on slivers and eldrazi landed where they didn't reprint it you absolutely need it to upgrade the deck and there hasn't been a recent printing like that's just that's the perfect storm you're after not the oh this is a two card combo we have seen this is a two card combo specs come and go hundreds of times over the last several years and there are very quick flip opportunities there but you really need to move fast and you're going to get caught holding some copies i'm i'm I believe that I said we will see this on our lists and we will say people are going crazy with this because of Ashiok. I didn't say that you and I would be recommending it. I should have been more specific about that. Fair. They did show us a pretty awesome white card, though. Moonshaker Cavalry is basically the white crater hoof on purpose. They they, they said as much when they, they revealed it. Five triple white, six six flying. When it enters the battlefield, creatures you control gain flying and get plus X plus X, where X is the number of creatures you control. So not only is this an, yet another awesome card in Ginny Fey, <laughs> where I'm going to have a bunch of 12-12s or 15-15s attacking in the Ginny air. Ginny Fey's got to be a tough deck to add and take away cards from for you at this yeah. point. Ginny Faye's gotten a lot of toys. But the other thing is in rean- like white, black X decks where you're reanimating a bunch, this is a nasty reanimation target if you've got a bunch of tokens. Well, like I mean, they, just... they, if you're black, white something, and they somebody tried to kill you, and you ink shield, and then on the next turn you reanimate a Moonshaker Cavalry, that's probably GG's on the person that tried to swing out at you. I mean, it's, it's good if you've got a board and you need to get around their stuff. I think that this is less good than Crater Hoof, also because of the color that it's in. But white can go wide really easily. And you're right, this will finish no small amount of games. It's pretty easy to flicker this stupid thing in white if you have need of doing so. There's there's going to be... It's not going to be a very expensive card, I don't think. But it is going to be a card that you're going to see a lot at your commander tables. It'd be a lot sexier if it had Convoke. That's a tension that you don't really want to do, though. Because you don't want to tap your creatures. Because the reason it's worse than Crater Hoof is that green often can either ramp or use elves and mana creatures to cast the Crater Hoof faster than normal. Whereas this, you're 
you're stuck casting this for eight. So, but if it had Convoke, then there'd be some tension between how many creatures do I want to attack versus how many am I going to use to cast the thing. That's true. Also, I wish this had Haste, but Haste is really rare in white. They also showed us Cruel Somnophage as uh, evidence that adventure cards are coming back. So you can expect like something on a Bone Crusher Giant level, I would imagine. There'll be at least one or two brazen borrower bone crusher giant level double cards where you're you're getting a sorcery i think they said that they are they were mixing up the types yes that you could have on the front side so this one they showed off the adventure part is always going to be an instant or a sorcery though because it has to get exiled right you can't really do that if it's a creature an artifact enchantment or whatever right so this one is can't wake up target player mills four cards and then you can cast from exile as a power and toughness XX, where X equals to the number of creature cards in all graveyards. Uh, I would imagine there'll be a draft archetype to play or build around that, which will be pretty fun. Uh, they show Tough Cookie that's going straight into my food deck. 2-2 two, two for a one and green food golem. So it triggers food triggers. And when it comes in the battlefield, it creates a food. So it is a food and creates a food. So for two mana, you're getting two food. And then... You can sack it like food, obviously. And then for two and a green, you can turn non-creature artifacts into four, four artifact creatures until end of turn. So this is just another potential win condition in my food deck for EDH that is just has awesome flavor. It's like gingerbread I mean, it looks with... very tasty. It's probably got very good flavor, you know? <laughs> gingerbread person wielding candy canes against a bunch of candy monsters it doesn't get any more fun than that yeah, sleight yep. of hand is being reprinted in the standard and apparently there is a new cycle of creature lands the one they showed off is restless fortress enters battlefield tapped creates white or black for four two a white and a black it becomes a one four white and black nightmare creature until end of turn when it attacks defending player loses two life and you gain two life i could see that being good in standard I mean, if you can build an Esper control deck or a, a an Orzhov control deck with enough mass removal spells, this is every control deck's dream, where you just get to have your mana be your win condition, and the fact that it doesn't matter how they block it, they're still going to lose two and you're going to gain two. That's That's pretty high on the list of control players' dreams, honestly. They also showed off borderless basics that are whimsical and they look great, but they they wouldn't be even remotely in my top five for the last five years worth of basics. And we're so far down the path of having so many options that you really need to blow my mind before I'm going to get excited. Yeah, if if the uh, rarest of rare la- of basic lands isn't going crazy, like we're seeing the oil slicks are still reasonably priced. You can find all kinds of other good lands that are sweet looking. Like there's there's no point trying to spec on lands, and uh, I'm one of the people that's got a couple of the secret layers of full text lands sitting around in in storage that I don't know if I'll ever unload those. To be honest. Alrighty, I think we've uh, done a pretty good job of wrapping things up for the week. Where can folks find you online, my friend? You can find me online at Twitter at Word of Commander or my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. Uh, if you like math of the Commander Masters, that just went up last Friday. 
You folks can find me on Twitter at MTGCritic, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com. I should have a new one coming up this week. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service. For just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that would drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5, that's finance with the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. James, so much happened this week. I didn't know if we would get to all of it, but we did. Good job, us. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you to everyone listening, and we will catch you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.